<coughs> well, last Sunday, our family were up in Birmingham. We weren't here. And we were in Birmingham, actually, for our own little grandson, Sammy's dedication. And it was a great um, time. And we have a photo of Sammy, because I always like to get a photo of Sammy wherever we go. And um, it was a great time. And there was a lunch after the dedication for family and friends. And unbeknownst to me, throughout this lunch, my daughter Joanna was doing a running commentary to those around her on what she called the Battle of the Grandmas. This is totally ridiculous and completely untrue, but she was running, doing a running commentary of the efforts of myself and the other grandma to very nicely and subtly but determinedly get more cuddles from Sammy than the other. Well, as I say, it's totally untrue, but I'd just like to say I think I won. <laughs> and today is also a very special day for some families here. You've brought your children, as we have said, to be part of the gathering of this family of God, to say thank you to God for the lives of your children and to commit yourselves as parents to bring them up well and to ask for our support in helping you. And, of course, to ask God to bless your children, something as parents we always want to do for our children. And as I can see, you have obviously invited friends and family to come and share in your special day. And we, again, I just like with Malcolm, we would like to welcome you here today. Um, whether you would call Kings your home church or you're just visiting, you are very, very welcome. And if any of you need any tips on how to get the most cuddles, then just come and see me. <laughs> and times like this are nothing new. In many ways, they simply mirror the actions of those parents that we read about in the Bible passage who also brought their children into the presence of Jesus because they wanted their children to be blessed. And so let's just remind ourselves of that passage. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw that, he was indignant, and he said to them, You let those little children come to me, and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. I guess for many of us, this is a very well-known story. And I think it's easy, perhaps, just to let the words pass over us and maybe give us a warm glow at just how sweet Jesus was to the families and have a smirk at those horrible old disciples getting told off. But sometimes, when a story is so well-known, we don't always take the time to stop and think, what was it really like? If I'd been there, what would it have been like? People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. So they travelled to find Jesus. I don't know if they even knew at first where he was. Did any of those children grumble and say they didn't want to come? Oh, Mom, I wanted to go swimming. 
did they get fed up on the way and say, oh, are we there yet? And were they frightened by those horrible disciples? And why did the parents take them in the first place? Well, at this time, actually, it was customary for Jewish children to be blessed by the rabbi, their sort of teacher, their, their minister or pastor. And many did view Jesus as a sort of rabbi or holy teacher of sorts. And so it did make sense for parents to seek him out, to bless their children, even if it was just at the level of thinking, we want to do the best for our kids, this might help, might keep them safe and ward off harm. But in blessing the children, actually Jesus at the time was making a real statement about who he is. Something that, at the time, people were just beginning to wonder about. Who is this man? He's obviously someone special. And as he blessed those children, he was carrying out and acting out his remit and his role of, as it were, bridging the gap between God the Father and us, representing us before the Father. But at the time, you know, not many, if, if any of those parents, I guess, really understood the full significance of who Jesus was and what he did when he blessed their children. And as we know, there are all sorts of reasons why you go on an outing with your children. I'm sure many of those parents were determined to find Jesus. But I just wonder... If, if some of them just sort of tagged along for the ride, perhaps they met them on the way. Oh, where are you off to? Well, we thought we'd go and find that new teacher, Jesus, and get the kids blessed. Oh, well, I will come. We'll, we'll come with you. You know, gets the kids out of the house. It doesn't cost much. Maybe it'll tire them out so that they sleep well tonight. All sorts of reasons. But whatever their reasons were, and however much they did or didn't understand, everyone who went, ended up meeting Jesus, the saviour of the world, the one who has made it possible for us not only to know joy in our human families, but also to become part of the family of God. And I guess that today, all of us may have come for different reasons and with varied levels of faith, or maybe none at all. You may have been invited to the dedications and you've come to support a friend or a family member, but maybe that's as far as your interest in Jesus goes. But like the people in the story, you can meet Jesus today and know his blessing. And so the story carries on. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, you let the little children come to me. In the message, it says, Jesus was irate, and he let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very centre of life in the kingdom. That told them. A friend told me once about a mum she knew who took her young children for the first, and as it turned out, the only time, to a small church nearby. And the children, they weren't used to church, they weren't particularly naughty, but they did act their age, as it were. And after the service was over, one of the church members came up to that mom and said, well, she said, 
Jesus might love the little children, but we don't. <laughs> I guess that we as a church, and I hope, we would be horrified to think we would ever be like that with our children and visitors if we thought that we were acting like those disciples. And at that time, Hebrew society, it really did value and cherish their children. Unlike other um, ancient Near Eastern cultures of the day, which often viewed children just as possessions that might be sacrificed for the benefit of the whole family. In the Talmud, which was a Jewish sacred writing, um, it was, childhood was described as a garland of roses, which all sounds very nice. And throughout the Old Testament, children are referred to as signs of God's blessing, gifts from God and sources of joy. And the care of children was seen not only um, as the responsibility of the family, but of the whole community. But at the time of Jesus' birth, um, that Jewish life was also being touched by Greek and Roman influences. And in these cultures, children had a much lower status and their lives were seen as easily disposable and with little worth in themselves. Childhood was purely preparation for the importance of adulthood, which only the strong reached. And I do just wonder, maybe the disciples were being sort of influenced a little bit by that. And when I thought about this, I thought in many ways this cultural mix does mirror life in the UK today, where children veer between being cosseted and being condemned. You know, on the one hand, we overprotect the children, we wrap them in bubble wrap. Health and safety rules okay. You're not allowed to play conkers without goggles on. <laughs> but on the other hand, you find that sometimes there's a real condemnation of children and youth. I don't know whether you remember a few years ago in the, the riots in the summer in 2011, there was at least one national newspaper that had uh, labelled these youngsters wild beasts. And... Um, Children are targeted between the advertising of all the latest wonderful toys and lovely things that are very, very expensive and they must have. And then on the other hand, they're sort of it being enticed to reach out prematurely for an adult lifestyle. And so they're being told, well, of course you can be on Facebook when you're 10, it's fine. You must have the latest phone. You must wear these clothes and look like goodness knows what. And of course it's fine to play an 18-plus computer game when you're only nine. And there's nothing worse, is there, than seeing a child forced through life circumstances to grow up prematurely, to lose their qualities of childlikeness. And this is why it's really so great for families to know the support of their church community as they bring up their children, as we have said we will do today. And I know for us, as Malcolm and I, it gives us great confidence for our little grandson, Sammy, to know that they are in a church community who will help Ben and Lizzie and support them and be there for them, especially as we don't live that near and neither do the other grandparents. 
And that is the case today, isn't it, for many families that we don't always live near family members, other grandparents and other relations. And I do believe that the church has got a real role to play in being sort of surrogate relations. I know that when our family were young, we had no grandparents nearby. But our kids had lots of church grandparents and aunts and uncles who um, loved them and practically cared and helped and prayed for them. I have to confess that our kids did also have some quite fun nicknames for these people, but they did love them to bits, and they still do. And there was one lady in particular, Ursula, who regularly prayed for every single child in the church. Um, I think she still does, including our kids, and we were so grateful. And she still prays for our kids, even though they're grown up. So even if, you know, you're part of this church, but you can't see yourself being closely involved in families, you can always pray, and maybe that's the best thing to do. But of course, it's not just the support of us as a church family that's important, it's the support of Jesus himself. I think it's no mistake that Jesus didn't arrive on this earth as a fully adult man, but was born as a baby. When Jesus finally began his public ministry at the age of 30, he did so having lived through each formative stage of human development up to that point. He'd been a baby, a child, a youth. It's wonderful to know, I think, that the saviour of the world has personal experience and understanding of the life of a child. Jesus welcomed respected and blessed children. To him they were precious in their own right. Rather than patronising them or ignoring them, he placed them at the centre of his attention and the heart of his teaching, which was, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And you know, this is more than Jesus just being nice. This is his essential, crucial teaching about the only way that we can enter into relationship with God and become part of his kingdom, his family, by displaying the qualities of a child. Because the values of God's kingdom, they just turn the world upside down. Think about those who want to be great in this world, who want to be someone and achieve something. What qualities do they display? Well, you know, maybe there's a sense of real striving, of putting themselves first and their ambitions before anything else or anyone else. Get out of my way. I'm important. We really like watching The Apprentice, and we find that it's really good entertainment. But you see those contestants doing everything, don't you, just to come on to, out on top, just out of my way, the rest of you. And the descriptions of themselves are ridiculous, aren't they? So one of them says, I was born to do great things. <laughs> what about this one? I'm not a one-trick pony. I'm not a ten-trick pony. I've got a field of ponies 
waiting to literally run towards this job. And this is a really good one. I regret not becoming a scientist so I could clone myself and be more successful in half the time. <laughs> yeah, right. But Jesus answered his disciples' question about how to be great in the kingdom of God by using a child to illustrate the qualities needed to enter his kingdom. The qualities of a little child, what are they? Well, they have to be open, they're vulnerable, they're trusting in those who care for them. And in particular, I have noticed that children are always open to accept a gift without feeling they need to earn it, without being suspicious, not like us sometimes. You know, well, what's the catch? There's no such thing as a free lunch. I bet we've all had those envelopes through the post. Mrs. Kite, you have won two million pounds. Yeah, yeah. Children don't refuse a gift because they don't think they're good enough to have it. Or they've got enough gifts, thank you very much. When it was our, our son Ben's birthday, um, and he was probably about eight at the time, and um, we were all in the front room, and we were watching him open his pile of birthday presents. And after he opened one, his younger brother Andrew gleefully piped up when he saw it, said, oh good, he said, we wanted that. We wanted that, did we? I think Ben wasn't too thrilled about that. Because when we're given a birthday present, actually, it is personal. It is just for us. But when we're talking about how Jesus has made a way for us to have a relationship with God and become part of his kingdom, yes, it's personal, but it's also for everyone who accepts it as a gift. It says in Romans 6.23 that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Free gift. And what's our response to this free gift? What's the catch? Or as a child? Oh good, we wanted that. See, God's not impressed with an apprentice-style pitch to get into the kingdom. Nothing we can do is actually good enough. We have to accept Jesus' gift with childlike, humble trust. And once we've become part of God's kingdom, his family, he wants us to keep displaying those childlike qualities. Of course, there is a difference between childlike and childish, isn't there? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now I have to admit, you might find this hard to believe, but even at my great age, I can sometimes be childish. I stamp my foot, sometimes literally, when things don't go my way. I have done that this week, if the truth be known. And however long we've been a Christian, we can sometimes find ourselves acting childishly, if we're honest. Sometimes we might get fed up about prayers not being answered in the way we'd hoped. Maybe we're just a little bit envious of another's prosperity or good news. We can get disappointed sometimes or bitter about how life's going. It's not fair. 
My mum says that when I used to come home from school when I was a child, sometimes before she'd even opened the door to me, she would hear me starting to say, Mum, it's not fair, this happened today at school. Is that us sometimes? God, it's not fair. That's not childlike, it's childish. Or have we started to lose our childlikeness the longer we've been a Christian? Do we become cynical? But we call it spiritual maturity. My dad was a police inspector in Birmingham. He has seen life, as you can imagine, in all its rawness. But he has totally childlike faith. To be honest, as a teenager, it occasionally drove me mad. When I was really worried about getting the exam results to get into college, his answer was, well, if God wants you to go to college, you'll go to college. And I did. (laughs) But he's not spiritually childish, believe me. He has preached regularly throughout his life. He studied Old Testament Hebrew and New Testament Greek. As I say, he knows the rawness of life. And now he is coping with real grace, the losing of his sight in old age. No matter how long we've been a Christian, God expects us to live our lives with the openness, humility and trust of a child. And so Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. In the Amplified Bible it says, Jesus took the children one by one in his arms and fervently invoked a blessing, placing his hands on them. If ever I've wanted to be a fly on the wall, it's at this event. What did he say? How did the children react? I bet none of them cried. And what difference did it make to those children in the long term? And what does it mean anyway to be blessed by God? I think we use the word bless and blessing very very carelessly, doesn't it? It sort of drips off the tongue. I knew somebody once that that was the way he greeted you. He saw you say, oh, blessings, and then he'd be off on on his way. and got a clue what he meant. And sometimes we, we use the word bless you in an ironic or negative way. Maybe when you're talking about something silly someone's done and you sort of say, bless them through clenched teeth. And what about the phrase, bless their cotton socks? What's all that about? But what we do know is that in the Bible, a blessing is given much greater significance than the few words we might sometimes say these days at the end of a service, almost as a prelude, just a prelude to the coffee and chat afterwards. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many examples of people seeking God's blessing. In Genesis 32, we read of Jacob wrestling with God all night, saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. And he did. In the Bible, the meaning of blessing has a definite sense of favour and good. I like to think of blessing as the goodness of God influencing my life. Galatians 3 says people of faith are blessed and made happy and favoured by God. So whatever Jesus did say to those children, it was significant to them. 
And as we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, then surely it must be the case that Jesus still wants to bless children today and that blessing will have a significant effect on their lives. And that we too can be blessed by Jesus if we come to him with childlike faith. And of course that greatest blessing available to us is the free gift of eternal life, which we can reach out and take. But then God's blessings are available for us throughout our lives as we continue with childlike trust and faith. But my guess is that some of you might be sitting here today saying, feeling, well, I don't think I've seen a lot of blessing in my life recently. Life's pretty tough at the moment. But you know that's no reason not to pray for blessing. That's all the more reason to. And to make the most of others praying on your behalf. To keep asking for the goodness of God to influence your life. And we know that this doesn't always mean that life will suddenly get easy. It's not like a magic spell. But we know that God is with us both in the good times and the hard, in the green pastures and the darkest valley. His goodness can influence whatever situation we are in. And we can be greedy for blessing. I was once in a prayer meeting where we were praying for something and somebody in the prayer meeting prayed, oh Lord, we don't want to be greedy, but we really would like this. And afterwards I thought, I don't know that that's true actually. We, don't, we do want to be greedy. We do want to be greedy for blessing. God wants us to be. We never need to pray like that. Our God is an extravagant and lavish God. I mean, you can't get more extravagant than to send your own son to die so that we could know relationship with God. That is lavish. We think of spiritual maturity, I think, as getting to grips and coping in the hard times. And it is. But I believe, too, that it is also a mark of real spiritual maturity is not to be afraid or reticent to ask for blessing day by day, and to enjoy it. To enjoy the good times and let the hard times teach us to revel in the good. Pam Warren um, was a victim of the Hatfield Rail disaster, which is, is a good few years ago now. And um, she, was, she was very badly burnt um, on her face and had to have many, many operations and treatment. And um, I do remember once um, hearing an interview with her afterwards and, um, you know, the interviewer said something like, you know, how did this sort of awful experience affect your life? That sort of thing. Do you know what her answer was? Very deep. I never refuse pudding. <laughs> I really like that. That is brilliant. Make the most of all the good, of every blessing of God in our lives. And so today, do we want to be blessed by God today? Then we need to come to him with humble, childlike trust and faith, whether it's for the first time or for the umpteenth time. 
We need to let ourselves be vulnerable, let our guards down, stop striving or trying to earn his favour. Do we deserve it? No. But God wants to bless us anyway. And can I suggest that as we finish, we again stand and pray for blessing, as we did for the children, but this time for ourselves. It's the same blessing, it's just slightly different wording. But if you'd like to, then do stand. And the words will come up. Let's say together. May the Lord bless and protect us. May the Lord smile on us and be gracious to us. May the Lord show us his favour and give us his peace. Amen. Thank you.